0: Hey, turn to your neighbor real quick, say, I feel good. I feel good. And now turn back to him, say, I knew that I would. <laughs> and now <I'll> say, da-na-na-na-na-na. <laughs> I just love that y'all did that, that's awesome. Um, I'm so pumped today. Y'all, last weekend was incredible. It was absolutely amazing. Um, hundreds of you made the trek down to Sandy Springs to serve as City Serve. Give yourselves a big <laughs> round of applause. It was amazing. And you did it on the hottest weekend in the history of the world. It was so hot outside last weekend. Like I thought hell had relocated to Atlanta, okay? I was like, did the devil really come down to Georgia? Is he here right now? (laughs) It was so hot outside, like straight up y'all. Like some of y'all were sweating so much that we could have captured it and done a baptism service down in, that is the grossest baptism joke you've ever heard. But it's true. It was so hot outside, but it was amazing because we were able to pass out thousands of invite cards to Elevate City Church. We got to capture, I don't know if you're ready for this, over 500 email addresses of people who live in Sandy Springs, Georgia and wanna be a part of that church in the future. Um, We got to meet some really, truly, incredibly people, incredibly people, incredible people, um, who, man, I think are gonna be awesome friends in the future. And I'm coming back more convinced than ever. And the Elevate City Church is the church that a generation has been waiting for and the church that the city of Sandy Springs needs. We've got this great belief building within us that a generation has been waiting and that this church is here and that it's now, we've got an incredible, incredible adventure in front of us and we couldn't have done it without you. So one more time for those who <laughs> served at City Serve, paving the way for our next campus. You guys are amazing. Well, I'm pumped today. We start a brand new series, a new collection of talks called Life Bombs. Let me hear you say Life Bombs. And over the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the areas of our life that have a tendency of exploding if not addressed. And um, as we started to put this series together, coincidentally, not intentionally, not on purpose, all of the bombs just started with the letter F. Okay. And I don't know about you, but I personally love the uh, creative, elusive approach our creative team took with the series graphic. If um, if you haven't caught it yet, don't worry, you will. And when you see it. If you're offended, I understand, you can send me an email. My email address is s.gibbs@stonecreekchurch.org. at stonecreekchurch.org. We'd love to get those. All right, let's pray and try to do something spiritual now. Jesus, um, thank you so much for today. And um, I just really do pray that hope would rise in this place today as we lean in to the areas of our life that tend to destroy us. I pray that we'd be released from those things so that we could step into the destiny that you have for each and every one of us. God, I pray that today that you would reframe us. I pray that you'd make us ready, open to receive what you've got for us this morning. God, I pray that we would lay every inhibition down, every preconceived notion down and just open our hearts and our lives to what you wanna say to us this morning. And God, I pray that we would leave today walking in the victory that you purchased for us on Calvary. And Jesus, um, while I have your attention and we're talking about victory, I pray that you would help the Atlanta Braves victoriously overcome the sinful St. Louis Cardinals in Jesus' name. And all the Atlanta Braves fans said, amen. Amen. <laughs> it's playoffs, people. What do you expect? It's playoffs. Um, so the life bomb that I want to talk to you about today is the life bomb of failure. And as I started to think about failure and think about what route I wanted to take to try to get you in on feeling the feeling of failure, on being engaged with the emotion of failure. I, I've thought about it all week long and I thought, what do I do? Do I tell like a story from my childhood when like I failed and fell flat on my face and we'd all laugh together and then cry and there'd be this great story of redemption and it'd be awesome, right? Should, should I go that route? Or should I like, talk about the um, mistake I've made in my marriage? Cause we know i made plenty of those. Um, and then talk about that failure and like set it up for where we're going. Like what should I do like to try to get us to feel just that emotion, that feeling of just blowing it completely, utterly blowing it. What would make us feel that? And um, this is the best that I could come up with. (laughs) Too soon? (laughs) If you don't know, in Super Bowl 51, the Atlanta Falcons were up three to 28 with uh, two minutes and 11 seconds left in the third quarter. And, um, and then they failed to make another defensive stop, failed to score another point, failed to win the toss in overtime. And the New England Patriots end up going on a 31 point scoring streak unanswered and won the Super Bowl. If that's not failure, people, I don't know what is. All right, maybe this, maybe this is failure. Ooh, two, now, now, whoa, we got some mixed, mixed audience now, okay? Um, you know, what's a bigger failure than this? Um, uh, what might be a bigger failure is using a sermon illustration that makes 90% of your audience hate you in the first <laughs> five minutes. That may be a bigger failure. As Atlanta sports fans, we're familiar with the feeling of failure. Yeah. But in all reality, people are very familiar with the feeling of failure. In all actuality, all it takes is for us to just see the word failure, to feel failure. Like you see that word failure and you feel your failed marriage. You feel your failed business, your failed investment, your failed dreams. You feel the way that you have failed people like you failed your parents or you failed as a parent, you failed your family, or you failed yourself. All it takes is seeing the word failure to feel that you've failed expectations, failed the promises that you've made. You failed as a leader. You weren't the leader you wanted to be in your home or at work, you failed as a friend. You didn't show up. You weren't there. You didn't call. Maybe you failed a drug test. Maybe you failed an entrance exam. Maybe you failed controlling your temper. Maybe you failed fighting temptation, just gave into it again. You've just failed to be faithful over and over and over again. And all of these feelings of failure start to make you feel like you've just failed God. Like you failed him, he's disappointed in you, he's angry with you, he's frustrated with you. And the thing that makes this failure so catastrophic, such a bomb, is that all of this emotion of feeling like we failed God creates all this confusion and question within us that we start to feel like, okay, maybe we didn't just fail God, but God failed you. Faith failed you. That somehow all of this failure that your life is shaped and colored and informed by Proves to you that God doesn't work for you, faith doesn't work for you, and so you're just gonna throw in the towel. Failure is so toxic, it is so catastrophic, it is such a bomb that blows up in our face. And my prayer this morning is that in the face of failure that each and every one of us feel, that somehow that hope could arise within us, that causes us to become released from our failure so that we could step into the future that God has for each and every one of us because I'm here to tell you this morning that his faithfulness and his forgiveness is way bigger than your failure. Like you may feel this morning that you've created the unimaginable, inconceivable, inconceivable, unforgivable failure, that it's been public, that it's been out there, that it can't be fixed or made right. It's not some small, stupid failure, like losing, losing the Super Bowl. It is a big, big, like family fracturing, destiny-defining, or so you think, kind of failure. It's big, but I want you to know that my God is bigger. His forgiveness is bigger. His faithfulness is bigger. His promise is bigger than any failure that's out there. And this morning, my hope is that we would begin to live in the reality of the forgiveness that God has for our failure and the future that he wants for us to walk in. And so what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna look at one of, if not the greatest failure in all of the scriptures. This failure is so massive, it is so in your face, that it shows up in all four of the gospels, which is pretty rare. If something shows up in all four of the gospels, it means that it stood out to the writers in such a way that they couldn't forget about it. It means that it so informed their understanding of Jesus in humanity that they had to let everybody know about it. And what we're gonna look at is we're gonna look at the failure of Peter. Now this story of Peter failing shows up in all four gospel accounts, and each time it gives us different details, different insights on exactly what happened that night. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to piece together parts of every gospel writer's account so that you can see the story of Peter's failure like never before, so that you can see the story of Jesus's forgiveness like never before. Little backstory first. In Matthew chapter four, Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee. And he sees these two guys fishing, um, Peter and his brother, Andrew. And he walks up to them on the Sea of Galilee as they are fishing. And he goes, hey, I want you to follow me. And I'm going to make you fisher of men. Immediately they leave their nets and they begin to follow Jesus and they become disciples of this Jewish rabbi. Now that story doesn't seem super significant until you understand the educational system for young Jewish boys. Young Jewish boys would grow up and they would go to what's called Beth Merdash. Let me hear you say Beth Merdash. Yeah, they'd go to Beth Midrash, and at Beth Midrash they would study the Torah, they would try to memorize it, they would get an understanding of Jewish culture and history, and then the best and the brightest of Beth Midrash would move on to Beth Sefer. Let me hear you say Beth Sefer, and and that would be like those who made the second cut. Think about it as like like basketball trials. You make the second cut. You go on to Beth Sefer, the best and the brightest. And there you learn the oral tradition. You would learn how to communicate and how to lead. And then at the age of 15, the rabbi of the town would come and he would pick from the class of Beth Sefer, the 10 to 15, best and brightest, young Hebrew Jewish boys. And they would begin to follow him as a rabbi. And so at this point in Peter's life, where Jesus walks up to him, Peter's assumed the family trade because everybody who doesn't get picked, who doesn't get chosen, who's not good enough, goes and they study the family trade. And so here's Peter as a fisherman, and if he's a fisherman, it means that he's a failure. It means that he's not good enough, not smart enough, not religious enough, not perfect enough, couldn't study the law well enough to be a rabbi, and so he's already failed, and so Jesus is walking up to Peter, and he is literally in the middle of his failure trying to pull him into a new future, and Peter begins to follow Jesus, and the story gets better. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus and Peter and all of the disciples, they're on this vacation trip almost to this region called Caesarea Philippi, and while they're on the way there, Jesus um, starts to have these conversations with his disciples, and he gives Peter a nickname, and how many of you know the best nicknames come on road trips, right? when you're on road trips, you're just like jacked up on Mountain Dew and way too many sunflower seeds and gummy bears. And so you just start coming up with crazy nicknames for people, right? Um, I came up with some nicknames on some road trips. Um, One of the nicknames I came up with on a road trip was for my wife, okay? Um, I thought I had a small bladder in Jesus' name, okay? And I do, Um, but till I got married and we went on our first road trip, I had no idea how small a woman's bladder could be, okay? And so I gave my wife the nickname, Can't Hold It, Kayla. Right? She cannot hold her bladder. And the best nicknames come on road trips. And so Jesus and his disciples are on this road trip and he drops this nickname on Peter. He goes, Peter, you're the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. What a dope nickname. I wanna be the rock, like Dwayne the Rock Johnson stole Peter's nickname. Like how dope is that, right? That's an awesome nickname. You're the rock, you're strong, you're steady, immovable, can't crack. Don't give way under pressure. You're the rock. Like, I wanna be the rock. And the question that we've got today is can Peter hold up underneath the pressure of who he's supposed to be and what he's supposed to do? And that's where we pick up our story today. Matthew chapter 26, verse 30. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Translation, Jesus is gonna die. Everybody's gonna go running for the hills. But after I'm raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, though they all fall away, because of you, I will never fall away, Jesus. I love what Peter does there. He goes, no, not me. Like he immediately throws his friends under the bus. He goes, listen, Jesus, I'm sure that they're all gonna fall away. Okay, like, let's be real. I grew up with Andrew, he's my brother. He's afraid of the dark. He's running first, okay? Um, Matthew, he's a tax collector, not the most upstanding citizen. He's definitely gonna give up on you. Uh, Jesus, Judas, need I say more? Like, they're gonna fail you, but not me. I'm not gonna fail you. And Jesus goes, oh, no, 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 Peter, you don't understand. Truly, I tell you, this very night, not something in the future, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. Gosh, that's so me, right? But Peter's like, oh, you wanna bet, Jesus? You wanna bet I'm gonna deny you? Listen, I'm not gonna deny you. Another translation goes, I'll go to prison. And then he goes, no, I will just go to prison before I deny you. I would die before I deny you. That's just me, right? You tell me I can't do something. I'm like, oh, yes, I will. I would do it and I would do it blindfolded and I would do it backwards and I would do it naked and I'll do it right now, right? <laughs> that's me, And Peter is puffing himself up. He's so sure, he's so confident that this is a place that he would never go and a sin that he would never commit. And isn't it those sins that get us the most? Isn't it those failures that we never thought were possible that are the ones that tend to crack us, the the ones that tend to get us, the ones that tend to creep in, find their ways into our lives and ruin the game? Like you grew up in that Christian family and you were never gonna get knocked up in high school. You were never gonna get knocked up in college. In Christian family, you were a Christian girl. You went to all the conferences, you kissed dating goodbye. You got the period, the period, that's weird. (laughs) There's gonna be a meme of me saying that going around our staff. You got the purity ring uh, before you had your period, okay? Man, I feel like a failure. Uh, Praise Jesus for grace right now. But you were there, right? You were there, and man, you made the commitment that you would never go to that place. You would never go to that space. You were gonna save yourself for marriage, but there you found yourself pregnant, out of wedlock. What do I do with the baby? And that emotion just made you feel like a failure. It was overwhelming, intoxicating, all-consuming, too much to take. And then that failure created so much confusion, so much emotion where you just felt like nobody was for you and nobody was with you, that you made the decision to get an abortion or put your kid up for adoption. And now you don't talk about it. You don't bring it up. You feel like a failure. And every time you see a young pregnant mom, every time you see a newborn baby, you just wonder what could have been and what happened. And you feel like a failure. And it was this place that you were never gonna go, this thing that you were never gonna do. I'm I'm always so worried about the person who goes, I'm never going there. Like I would never do that. I would never cheat on my spouse. I would never handle, mishandle money that way. I would never get caught up in a sinful lifestyle like that. Like, it's okay, I can hang out here. I can do this over and over again. I'm not gonna become that. I'm never gonna do it. It's like you thought Jesus was joking when he said pride comes before the fall. He wasn't joking, like Now, I don't think that we need to live in this place of fear, but I think that we need a real healthy posture that understands that outside of the grace of Jesus, you have no idea who you could be, what you could do, or where you could go. Outside of the grace of Jesus, I want y'all to know I'm a hot mess. I am just a hot mess, prone to wonder, easily given over to sin. And so I, I, I don't want to be this Peter I I think that this puffed up pride is paving the way for our failure, but an understanding of how susceptible we as humans are to sin, are to failure, are to falling flat on our face. We're just naturally trippers, just naturally trippers, not great walkers. This is us, and this is Peter, and and sure enough, he, he leads with this confidence. He leads with this, I'm never gonna fail. I'm never gonna blow it. And it paves the way for him to fail. And it's so interesting the way that this gets into our soul, right? Like if that is your story, if you did something you never thought you would do, went to a place that you never thought that you would go, committed a sin that you never thought that you'd committed and it's this failure that, that you now hold tight. Isn't it so interesting that we don't talk about it? We don't bring it up? We don't share it with anybody. We don't talk to our kids about it. Maybe you've got this failure, this sin that you've never talked to your spouse about. This failure that's happened to you. Maybe, maybe it's not even something that you failed in, but some way that life failed you, but you won't even talk about it, won't even bring it up. You you just hold it so tight. This failure, don't wanna discuss it. And that's exactly how you stay trapped. That's exactly how you stay, stay held hostage. Isn't it wild that the entire Bible from cover to cover is just full of failures? This book is drenching in failure. Adam, failure. Moses, failure. Abraham, real failure. Abraham told some king that his wife was his sister because he was too afraid to fight. That's a failure, okay? David, double failure. Peter, failure after failure after failure. I just want you to know, like if I'm writing the Bible, I'm leaving my failures out. I'm not being quite as honest about my hiccups, you know? Why is it that they just put it front and center on the front cover of every page? It fills every story, failure after failure after failure, because they know that when you talk about your failure, you get freed from your failure. You realize that your failure does not define you, but that God's grace does. God's grace defines you and it is bigger and better than your failure. And so some of you, a step that you need to take to experience freedom from failure is you need to talk about it today. You need to tell someone today. You need to have a real conversation today. And just watch as God starts to set you free. This failure that um, Peter said that he would never commit, he falls so easily into. The story continues and the mob comes. And um, they begin to take Jesus hostage. They come out of nowhere and they put him in uh, handcuffs and they take him away to be tried. And that's where we pick up the story. Then they seized him and they led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. Now, I want you all to know that as I read and studied this week, this part of the story jumped out to me in a way that it never had before. I've read the story hundreds, if not thousands, of times. And as I'm reading it, I, it just jumps off the page. Peter was following at a distance. And it just clicked in my mind. If you follow at a distance, you're destined to fail. If you follow at a distance, you're destined to fail. So there's this phrase in um, Hebrew culture for young boys who were rabbis of Jewish rabbis. And the phrase is the dust of the rabbi. The dust of the rabbi. And the idea is this, that a young boy who's learning, a young disciple who's studying a rabbi should be so close to him that the rabbi would kick up dust and that dust would land on the disciple. That you're supposed to be so connected at the hip that the place to live, the place to learn, the place to grow, the place to follow is in the dust of the rabbi. It's following extremely close. And so that's where Peter's supposed to be, but here he's following at a distance. And I I can't help but wonder if there are a lot of us who are, are failing over and over and over and over again because we are following at a distance. We think we're following Jesus, but we're so far behind we're so far disconnected, so far removed. It's way too casual. It's way too kinda in the background. It's way too, like, when it's convenient. We're following at a distance. And I'm here to tell you this morning that you're never going to be able to have a deep, failure-defying relationship with the person of Jesus if you've got a casual relationship with his presence. If you've got a casual relationship with the scriptures, a casual relationship with prayer, you're never going to have a personal relationship with Jesus. It's just not going to happen. And so I wonder if it's when Peter's following at a distance, when he's in the shadows, when that distance is created that the doubts start to creep in, right? Because absence doesn't make the heart grow fonder. Absence makes the heart falter. It makes the heart cave in wonder and doubt and question, right? Like you can see this so easily articulated in in, in marriage. It's going to be way easier for me to cheat on my wife when I'm far, 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 far away from her, right? If I'm holding my, if I'm holding my girl's hands, I can promise you this. I am not cheating on that woman because she will bite you. All right? Like she is fierce and furious and not playing games. And so The closer you are, the less likely you are to fail. Don't you see this? And so I wonder if it's when he's distanced, when he's far away from Jesus, when he's following at a distance that these doubts start to creep in. And Peter starts to go, I don't know if Jesus really is who he says he is. No, I don't know if really Jesus can do what he said that he can do. I don't know if this was really worth giving up my whole career and my life. Maybe I'll just go do something else. Maybe, I don't know, like, I don't know, I don't know. And so his mind starts to already get made up before he ever gets to this place of failure because he was following at a distance. There's some of you today who need to start following Jesus way more closer. You need to take this thing way more seriously. You need to be way more aggressive in your pursuit of his presence. You gotta get in the dust of the rabbi. Peter wasn't, and so he failed. Watch what happens. And when they had kindled a fire, don't miss that part. When they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them and then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man was also with him, but he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you're also one of them. But Peter said, man, I'm not. And after an interval of an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not even know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter, and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Peter, sitting down at a fire, has a teenage girl, a teenage girl come up to him. Now, I'll be real. I think Peter catches way too much flack for this teenage girl thing. Teenage girls are vicious. (laughs) They can be catty and fierce and they're not playing games either. And so, but it's a teenage girl. Hey, hey, you're one of them, right? Like I saw you, you were with Jesus. Surely you know him. No, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Never, Never met the man before. A little time goes on and someone else comes up to him. No, 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 no. I'm pretty sure you were there. Like you've been following him around. Like you were there when he healed that kid's hand. I saw you. You were there when like you were one of the people who was picking up all the bread when he performed that miracle. You you were with him. No, I, I wasn't there. I've got one of the familiar faces. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. An hour goes by. Let's be real. All of us can make a mistake in a moment. All of us can get asked a question, feel insecure and lie. All of us can, oh gosh, oh, I don't know, and stumble. But an introvert of an hour goes by and reality starts to set in. And it's, oh no, what have I done? Oh no, I better make this right. Oh, oh no, I better apologize, right? Reality starts to set in. An hour goes by and you would think Peter's like, this is, this is my shot, this is my moment of redemption. This is my opportunity to make right what went wrong. Somebody else asks him, hey, 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 you're a Galilean. You sound just like all those guys that were following him. Uh, Your accent gave you away. And Peter goes, I don't even know him. Never seen him before. And the story, the way that it reads is just so intense. It's almost bone chilling that at that very moment, the rooster crows. Jesus makes eye contact with Peter and in that moment, Peter knows, he remembers the promise that he made, the expectations that he had for himself, the dreams for his life, the destiny that he was supposed to walk in, the way that he was supposed to live, and the person he was supposed to be all come unraveled at the seams. He's a failure and that failure causes him to run away and he weeps and this is exactly what failure does. Failure moves Peter then to this place of going back to his past. The story goes on and Jesus is crucified the very next day. And when you pick up the story in John 21, Peter has gone fishing, look at it. John 21 verse three, Peter says, I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go out with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Peter goes back to being a fisherman. This is exactly what failure does. You can't miss this this morning. Failure drives us to our past. I wanna try to illustrate this for you today. Um, Can I get a couple of volunteers? I need two volunteers. Can I get two volunteers? Yeah, come on, man. Uh, Come on up, yeah, you'd be great. And one more volunteer, one more person volunteer. It'd be great. Somebody right now, very quickly, wanna come up here for me on stage. Great, you come on up here. Um, Yeah, y'all come on up. Y'all give our volunteers a big round of applause. (laughs) I wanna try to articulate for you guys what's happening when Peter goes back to fishing. So Leander, can you stand right here and can you hold that out for the crowd? Perfect, yeah, just right there, that's great. And then um, Joe, can you hold that? So Peter, um, after Jesus crucified and he fails, what does he do? He goes back to fishing, so he goes back to his past because failure, it drives us to our past and what begins to happen is we start to live our lives in reverse. We get so focused on our failure, so focused on the relationship that didn't work out, so far focused on the dream that failed, so focused on the mistake that we made, so focused on just the mess that we've been. And that's where our mind goes. That's where our attention goes. We're constantly playing it on this repeat like it's a record. We get so focused on failure that we begin to live our lives in reverse. And how many of you know how hard it is to drive in reverse? It is so much more difficult to drive in reverse. I can hardly back out of my driveway in reverse. But this is how we live and life becomes difficult because we're so focused on our failure. And then we've got this big hiccup. Our biggest frustration in life is that we repeat our failures over and over and over again. Do you know why? Because you're living your life in reverse. Focused on your failure, you keep running into your failure. You're looking at your failure, falling into your failure. Looking in your failure, running into your failure. How are you supposed to move forward? How are you supposed to make progress? You wonder why it's so slow? It's because you're living your life in reverse. Haven't gotten to that dream yet? Haven't gotten to that job yet? Haven't gotten to that relationship yet? It's because you're focused on your failure. And I wonder what would happen if we understand that God cares so much more about our future than our failure, like he cares so much more about this than that, so much want, wants our, our, our eyes and our attention and our affection here, not over there, but what do we do? We just drag this around, hold this hostage, come with me, my failure, I can't let it go, I messed up so bad, I'm so defined by it. And what you've gotta know is that you are never going to experience the future that God has for you until you let go of the failure that is defining you. You're never going to. It's never going to happen. I wonder what would happen this morning if we could really leave all of our failures in the place of forgetfulness, turn around and get our eyes on the future that God has for us. Just like Paul says, I let go of what lies behind me and I strain towards what lies ahead. I believe that there's a future and a hope and that what's in front of me is way better than what's behind me, that God's not done with me yet, that he's got a hope and a future for me and that future, that future's not a place, that future's a person and his name is Jesus and he loves you and he's for you and he's not finished with you yet. What would happen if we lived in this direction? Do you know what we'd find? We'd find Jesus and all of his grace and all of his kindness and all of his purpose and all of his goodness and all of his friendship and opportunity offering us a second chance. What if this failure back here is actually meant to shape your future what if God wants to use this thing in your life that has felt like the worst thing that has ever happened to you to be the thing that matters most for someone else? You guys give our, um, our, our volunteers a big round of applause. What if God wants to use your failure to shape your future? There's a story of IBM in the early days. There was a young guy who was tasked with a project And um, when doing this project, he made a $10 million mistake. He made some decisions, some choices that were against the counsel that others had given him. And that caused him to lose $10 million for the company. And so Tom Watson, the founder of IBM, calls this young guy into his office and he's just carrying failure on his back. He feels it so deeply. And he walks into his office and the first words out of this young guy's mouth is I'm sure you're gonna fire me. I just lost you $10 million. To which Tom Watson replies, fire you. I just spent $10 million training you. You're not going anywhere. What if these failures that have happened in our past, what if our failed marriages and our failed relationships and our failed businesses and our failed investments and our failure to be faithful has actually given us the opportunity to have a future where we can keep others from failure? Where all of that was training for what God has for us next. Peter went back fishing And it's so interesting that if you remember the scripture, it says that he caught nothing. Try to feel the weight of that emotion. So he's gone back to his past, he's living in this failure. And so he goes, I've got to go back to who I was before Jesus. The only thing I know is to be a fisherman. And so here he is fishing. He's already failed to be a rabbi, already failed to be Jesus' disciple. If you read the story, he failed to stay awake and pray when Jesus asked him to in the garden of Gethsemane. He failed to not deny the savior of the world three times. Failure after failure after failure. And so here he is again in his past being a fisherman and he fails. He can't even catch any fish. Could you imagine the emotion of this guy? The intensity of this situation? It's right there that Jesus steps onto the scene. And what I love so much about this story and what just breaks my heart the most is that Peter doesn't go looking for Jesus, but Jesus goes looking for Peter. Jesus goes and finds Peter in the middle of his failure, in the moment of his failure. And he calls him to come home once again. And so he calls out to him. He says, hey, it's an inside joke. He says, throw your net on the other side of the boat. You know what's so interesting all throughout the scriptures, these disciples who are branded fishermen never catch any fish without Jesus. <laughs> never. And so he goes, throw it on the other side of the boat. And sure enough, they throw it on the other side of the boat and it's a haul of fish that almost breaks the nets. And in that moment, Peter knows that it's Jesus. He remembers those moments. And so He jumps into the water much like he did when he walked on water, but this time he's just all in. And he swims ferociously to the seashore. And as he makes it to the seashore, all these beautiful moments start to come together in this tapestry of grace that blows my mind. Watch what happens. John says this, when they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. So they show up, Peter gets out of the water and he runs towards Jesus and there's this fire here. He's on the seashore. Now think about a seashore. Where did Jesus call Peter the first time? While he was fishing on the Sea of Galilee and here is Jesus calling Peter again. And then there's a fire. A fire much like the night that Jesus or that Peter denied Jesus three times. They sat by a fire think about the emotions of the smell of a fire I think about being in Africa and the smell of a fire of poverty and burning trash like I I just can't get that out of my soul and so I think about Peter seeing this fire smelling this fire and and him just smelling regret him smelling remorse him smelling failure and not seeing the redemption that Jesus is about to bring and so Jesus asks Peter a question. He says, Peter, do you love me? He says, Jesus, you know I love you. Jesus says, them feed my sheep. Jesus asks Peter another question. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you know, you know, you know, you know me, you know I love you. Feed my sheep. Jesus asks Peter a third question. Peter, do you love me? At this moment, Peter almost gets frustrated. He says, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Three questions, three statements three exclamations of god's grace saying for every single failure i've got the opportunity of redemption for every single shortcoming i've got an opportunity for a new beginning that i am going to ask you to step into believing again that 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 your destiny has not been forfeited because of your failure and i'm going to invite you to come feed my sheep You know that Jesus doesn't ask us questions for our, or for his benefit, but for ours. He wants Peter to know, because Jesus already knows, but he wants Peter to know that he knows that he loves them and that he's not through with them. And this opens the door for Peter to begin to move forward. And I just believe this morning so greatly that there are some of you who feel like you failed so miserably, so unimaginably, so inconceivably that you've gone back to fishing, that you're trapped in your past, held hostage by your failure. And God wants to release you from your failure so that you can step into your future today. He wants you to move past that. He's telling you that his grace is bigger. It's the reason that he asks three times to cancel out every failure. And he's here today canceling out your failed marriage, canceling out your failed business, canceling out your failed dreams, canceling out your failed hopes, canceling out your failed relationships, canceling out your failed faithfulness. And I know that you may never be able to forget your failure. But today I hope that you feel that you can be forgiven of your failure, that your failure is not the truest thing about you, that failure is not final, and that your future is just one step away. The same way that all of Peter's failures, Jesus knew them. Jesus knew all your failures before you committed a single one of them. Every single one of your sins were future sins before Jesus went to the cross. Do you know what that means? He knew you were gonna be a failure. He knew you were gonna mess up and stumble and be awkward and difficult. And he loves you anyways. He meets you in your failure, sees you in your failure, knows your failure, but his forgiveness is bigger. His forgiveness is better. His love is more wild than any force on earth. And he's inviting you to step into a future that's beyond what you ever dreamed was possible. Will you say yes to him today? Let's pray. Jesus, I ask you that you would move in our hearts in such a powerful way that we become convinced that your forgiveness triumphs our failure. Jesus, I pray that we would begin to believe that the cross of Calvary stands as a stake in the ground that says when we have failed, you don't. Jesus, you never fail, you never falter, you never fall short. You are perfect and blameless and innocent and pure. And that's why the grave and the resurrection swallows up all our failure in Jesus' name. So I pray today that we would see the cross as this sign that says that although we have failed, we are not a failure. We have a hope and a future and it is bigger and it is better than anything that's behind us. Father, I pray today should move into people's hearts. If maybe today you felt like a failure your whole life, you've just walked in here today feeling like you failed God, feeling like you failed to be faithful, feeling like you failed to live out the destiny and the call that God's placed deep within you. And you've questioned whether or not maybe God's failed you. You've questioned whether or not it was even worth it anymore, but something's moved in your heart today. Some truth settled into your soul where you become so convinced that what you need to do is to let go of your failure, to leave it at the foot of the cross, to let Jesus actually have what he's already paid for. And you wanna say yes to stepping into the future that he has for you. I'm just gonna invite you to pray this prayer. This is for those of you Who've never followed Jesus, who've never laid your failure truly and really at the foot of the cross, and want to say yes to Him today and to step in the future that He has for you. I'm just gonna ask you to pray this prayer. Repeat after me Jesus, I have failed. I've fallen flat on my face. I've made more mistakes than I care to admit. But I'm tired of doing life without you. I'm tired of living life in reverse. I'm tired of being defined by my failure. God, I surrender it today. I lay it at your cross today. I believe that your your cross cancels out my failure and that your resurrection rewrites my future. I surrender to you as savior and Lord. If that was you today, if you prayed that prayer, I wanna give you an opportunity to really let go of your failure and to boldly and bravely step into the future that God has for you. And so on the count of three, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if this is for you, you just say, I'm I'm done with failure. I'm done with letting it shape me and define me, but I wanna believe deeply in God's love for me and live in his love for me all the days of my life. On the count of three, I'm just gonna ask you to boldly and bravely throw your hand up in the air. One, two, three. Praise God. I see you. Amen. 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 Can we make some noise for for people who are leaving failure behind and stepping into their future today, who are saying yes to Jesus, Come on. Jesus, your love is the most wild force on the planet. You find us in our failures. You find us in, in, in our brokenness. You find us in, in our pride. You find us in our devastation. You find us in just all of our mess. And you love us anyway but you love us too much to keep us there. You move us forward into a future that's bigger and that's better. And so we say yes to you today with reckless abandon. We're all in today with you and for you to the ends of the earth because there's more people who feel like failures who you've purchased a future for. And we claim that and believe that in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. I invite you to stand as we celebrate God's love today in worship.